Hello and welcome to Wind Your Neck In. Um, I'm your host, Niall Annett, as always. And this week, I'm delighted, um, honoured to welcome um, one of the most renowned defence coaches in uh, the, the sport of rugby union. Um, we're delighted to have Sean Edwards on today. Sean, thank you very much after a small hassle of trying to get my Zoom to work. Uh, we're delighted to welcome you on and um, I really appreciate you taking the time. No, thank you. And uh, it's always good to talk rugby, mate. Yeah, yeah, strictly rugby and um, loads and loads of great insight. I, like I've kind of been banging down quite a few questions over the last couple of days since um managed to get the contact details off from mutual friend Jockey. And uh, I think I suppose the, the basis of this, Sean's going to be, it's it's uh, it's actually quite hard to find some really, really good rugby insight um, nowadays without any of the, the, the kind of rubbish that goes with it. So what we're looking to do is trying to cover some really good um, individual insight from you on on the sport of rugby union, how you kind of progressed into the sport and and definitely loads of insight into the world of coaching, which you have huge amounts of experience. And so firstly, I think it's appropriate just to ask how you're keeping, how your family are keeping and how everything's going on in your world. Yeah, well, it was difficult, obviously, coming to France first. Uh, like any, you know, you moving towns or any you know, children are moving schools, even in your own country, it's difficult. Yeah. You know? But obviously over here, but now we have our own place, uh, which we bought. We bought a property here. Um, we've done, done it up quite quite nicely. And um, so we have a nice home. Um, my daughter now, she, she's been here just over a year. She speaks French. Wow. Fun, yeah. Uh, she's six years of age. Uh, my other daughter, she goes to kindergarten. She's only three. <laughs> um, and uh, but and she, we, we reckon she understands French, but she doesn't say a word of it yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, the mother doesn't speak any French because uh, <laughs> she has all English friends around here, and then dad can speak French, but he can't listen it. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I can listen a bit in French. I, I can, I can understand the rugby talk, chat, etc. But obviously, you know, the French lads when they're having some banter between themselves, they're talking really quickly and they're talking yeah. with their own accents, etc. That's okay because you know I'm really here to win games of rugby. Yeah, and absolutely, and that and that you have done. I think um, one of the really interesting parts I'm looking to delve into is that transition to France, and uh, being a, a man who's heading into fatherhood myself uh, imminently, I think it'd be interesting just you know that progression of a coach's world where you can where you can move your family around. Something that um, it's kind of one of the things that coaches constantly try and juggle with. But it seems that you guys are really well settled. Haven't met you for the first time. It seems like you're well settled, and that and that's great to hear. I think um, one of the things people always talk about is um you know players attitudes and that goes a long way towards being how coachable they are um a, a coach it could be the best coach in the world but if a player doesn't have a great attitude it can be difficult to get through to them so in your world when you're having dealt with all the high end top class players that you have what are some of the most coachable traits or one of the traits that stand out for you in a player just simple one simple quote is do they want to get better yeah. and what i've found is you know this even at 30 plus years of age, you know, the best players, they still want to improve. Yeah. And they have that thirst for a bit of knowledge, you know, something that they haven't maybe been coached before. Um, how to prepare properly for games when you get a little bit older, etc. Um, knowledge that I've had over the years, you know, being a professional since I was 17. Mm. Which is back in way back in 1983, 
Um, so yeah, it's that thirst for knowledge really, um, and that thirst to want to improve. Yeah, and I think that's um, so. We've talked a lot, and again, there's going to be a lot of this that might seem um, like like just a buzzword lingo that is kind of thrown around now. And in terms of what you're talking about, it is just an intent to try and get better every day. There's lots of guys that we've that's had. First time I've heard that. That's well, the first time I've heard that saying. Well, there uh, you go. I'm not working anywhere, so you know. <laughs> so, so the term growth mindset is is banded around now, and it probably sits in the same. I'm going to be really honest. It sits in the same bracket of stuff that, uh, you know, people every preseason, they talk about like culture and all these buzzwords that without any real um, action can just be words, right? So it doesn't, so your definition of it is this, it's the same thing. It's just, again, it can be a bit of a buzzword unless it's actually followed through on. So whilst we dig into your version of it, which is just a, a thirst and desire to get better as a coach, um, is it easy to pick out those players that have that within them? Um, do, are there people that kind of naturally come to the front of your mind when you think of that? Well, I think most players have it in them. There's no doubt about that. Mm. Um, some already have found it and some others are, are yet to find it. Um, so you have to help the ones that are yet to find it to to have that buzz, to have that you know, insatiable enthusiasm. You know, for the game, and I always think, and it's pretty simple. Most of my things would I do with coaching as simple as possible because that's what I tried to learn, learn from Wayne Bennett, the great rugby league coach. And he's yeah. always keep it simple. And you know, if you're enthusiastic, very enthusiastic about something, you know, there's a big chance you're going to be better at it. And that can be tested with injuries, suspensions. You know, maybe contract negotiations, etc. Because obviously, it's not everyone's job. Uh, But underneath, people like you know, probably Anna Wynne Jones, Lawrence Delalio, they have an insatiable desire to want to win, Mm. and uh, that's what keeps them. I mean, there's many things what make them into great players. You know, physical attributes, aggression, um, aggressive attributes. But but underlying all that is that. and enthusiasm for the game. Yeah. That definitely. was probably the same in the amateur days as it is now. Obviously different now because it's your job. And it definitely puts more pressure on you as a person to perform because you're trying to feed the family. And it's the same for us as coaches. Um, but I'm sure the in the past, you know, I remember training with, um, you know, meeting a few of the England guys when I was playing for Wigan and, you know, they were training like professionals then um, at that time. Yeah, I think, um, so if we just flip that quite quite interesting to you as a player then, because you've done the full transition of player to coach, something I'm quite keen to do as, as, at the moment. Um, loads of really successful players have gone on to become um, coaches. But when you reflect on yourself as a, as a player, do you remember having like a real deep, obviously hugely decorated, you know, like massively decorated within um, rugby league, a total of like 37 winners medals um, inducted into the rugby hall of fame. And I'm not, I'm not trying to embarrass you, but I think the context of how successful you were is important. Um, do you remember having like this deep desire as a player? Yeah, you were like- as, as a player, I started to prepare to become a coach when I was like 21. I was writing notes okay. of what coaches said. Um, and you have to remember for me it's always been my business as well it's yeah. always been my job from being 17 to to now 
Um, I had a year and a half out when I retired, where it was very difficult, if I'm honest with you. You know, the first two, two or three months was, was okay because I could drink when I want, eat what I want, <laughs> you know, train, it was fancy training, which yeah. was difficult because I had injuries. But I really, really missed it, you know what I mean? And um, so for most of my life, it's been my job. That's what. Yeah, I think I am. I'm 30 years old now, and I'm obviously reaching the point where my playing days will will end. Sean, I think. Um, do you do you feel like you miss the kind of structure of uh, uh, the structure and the week to week challenge of trying to win games or Absolutely. prepare to win games? Absolutely. Totally, and you know you you have to remember that when when lads retire from from rugby, you know they go from being pretty much told what to do all the time, you know. Um, that's what made me laugh sometimes about people having the, you know, having the uh, the jab, you yeah. know, for a virus. I'm like, well, I'm probably a bad person to ask because <laughs> I'm just used to being told what to do for a lot of time. You know, 100%. you eat this time. Uh, why? Because I want to be a better player. Yeah. You know, you better this time. Why? Because I want to be a better player. So, yeah. you know, you, you have a very structured laugh, don't you? Yes. Um, and uh, so that taken away from you, you know, um, can can be difficult. Yeah, definitely. I think it fills a, a there creates a massive hole within your life. I think you talked about preparing. I find this really interesting because I find myself in a similar boat. Um, at the age of twenty one, maybe not as early as that, starting to try and formulate your own coaching ideas, your own coaching um philosophies or just principles. I suppose is a better term to use at a younger age, so that when you move into coaching, you got those. W- were there any coaches that you worked under as a player that stand out as people who who you basically harnessed or developed a lot well, from? All of them, really. Uh, I'd always treat someone from every coach I had. You got to remember, at first for me, I was writing notes about we believe. And, yeah. but, you know, rugby, you know, some tactics, uh, you know, some pass on to union. But in 1995, I was my mother when he passed away, unfortunately, this year. Oh, I'm uh, sorry to hear that. Yeah, so, uh, um, after rugby World Cup in South Africa, um, you know, we'd had all these players like Venga, Twigamala, etc. Great yeah. players, Rana Botica, coming from rugby union to rugby league, Scott Cornell. At Wigan, just three players I can mention. Um, but now, my mum can understand that rugby union was going to become very big and very popular. Mm. And she, she, she said, and very wisely, and also you got to remember there's more jobs in rugby union as well because there's more leagues. It's pretty yeah. simple. There's the French league, there's the English league, there's the Celtic league. So I don't know it's the old fashioned name for it, but yeah, but yeah Celtic league. Um, so my mum said, you need to start studying rugby union as well. So that's what I did, really. Yeah, and it's great foresight um, from your mother. I'm sorry to hear about her, her passing. I think um, if we if we reflect on your balance between rugby union and rugby league, you did play both as a youngster. So obviously, yeah, there was all. Yeah, I was captain of English schoolboys at rugby league and rugby union. Yeah, um, I actually played one on a Friday night at Central Park uh, for an England rugby league, and we beat France. And then we played Wales, funny enough, on uh, down in Bristol on a Monday night. Uh, me and a guy called Richard Gunn, who, who was a, a former professional rugby league player as well. Yeah. He, um, we were both centres and we were both from rugby league backgrounds, really. And, um, you know, in those days, you know, there's, there's this supposed, you know, friction of, you know, being amateur and all that and rugby league being professional. But I, I, I have no, no, not one instant of anyone being biased against me mm. or, or anything. Otherwise, they would have made me captain, wouldn't they? 
No, of course not. And obviously, it's amazing when when you're that age, the body just doesn't feel like you've played a game of rugby on a Friday and you just bounce up and play on a Monday. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I was shattered on Tuesday. Yeah. Lucky enough to win both games, like, and, and I was absolutely, oh. <laughs> the body always feels a bit better when you've won both at least um no that's class i think that that they're the stories that but a lot of like experience at that age that uh, you know um too many kids nowadays in my opinion uh, and i'm speaking in profe- in a professional arena and again um it's up for discussion just don't play enough rugby and i'm not advocating for people playing uh two games in two days but you have the only way you learn is playing see we we had I was lucky to have a guy called Mr. Steve McLeod. He was our rugby master at St. John Fisher School. And he was miles ahead of his time mm. in the way he prepared us. You know, we were, we were lifting light weights even when we were 16. You know, we were doing fitness sessions. You know, we had, we had patterns of play and everything. And he was miles ahead of his time. But one of his big things for us was not to be playing three times a week. Mm. You know, because... A lot of us played for England for Wigan Schools Rugby League as well. So we were playing for St. John Fisher. Mm. Wigan Schools Rugby League on a Saturday. And sometimes some of the lads wanted to play on the Sunday for us, like St. Patrick's Amateur Rugby League, you know, uh, Rosebridge Amateur Rugby League. And he thought it was a little bit too much because also he said, you have to remember, you know, we're trying to get exams, even though most of us were more academically gifted. But mm. um, And I thought that was a really good move because... Playing three times a week, every single week, is a little bit much. Because, it, for me, it takes away from your training time. Yeah. And at that age, from, particularly from, I think, from 12 to 16, a huge amount of development, which you, which you can be doing, you know, doing, you know, body, body weights like chins, you know, obviously not squatting too much, but, you know, doing some leg yeah. lengthening exercises, which, which I did, you know, I was doing... I was doing weights when I was, you know, 12, 13. Mm. And um, specific, specifically for, to, for more speed. Um, and I'm very, very grateful to Mr. McLeod because uh, you know, his guidance was, um, was invaluable, really. Awesome. Funny enough, I've got answered recently, who do you copy your coaching on? And, you know, obviously people might say, you know, Warren, and you've you, been great to me, and uh, Geach, and, you know, other great rugby league coaches are looking to have. And I said, no, it was my schoolmaster. At first, he, he he showed us the way of how to prepare for matches, and I've been very lucky because I've been prepared for matches from being twelve in that way. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I mean, obviously, that's a kind of buzz question, is it? Like, oh, who's the biggest influence on you? And I think people would be desperate to know that. But if we go a little deeper than that into like the preparation for matches, there's like a tactical and a technical preparation. But in terms of the Again, another buzzword's coming at you, like the soft skills. So like the player management or the ability to manage egos. Um, how have you found that's changed through your cycle of coaching from coaching, you know, 20 years ago, whenever you basically might've been a little bit more rough and ready, but now you do have kids, you know, particularly in the France setup who are, you know, born in the 2000s. So you've got this kind of generational change. Do you feel like there's a difference in how you manage people like that? Not really, no, not really, um... I always thought at Wasp we had a real hard edge about us, you know, with Lawrence being captain and yeah. was like Shawsy, et cetera, you know. And, you know, they just want to be told, you know, how it is, you know what I mean? If they played well, they want to be, oh, yeah, you played really well today. They didn't play so good or they could help them improve, which would then help us improve and hopefully then we'll win more games. 
Um, they were very open to that, really. There's a couple of players who couldn't take the criticism. <laughs> of the uh, uh, and I'm Paul Vollett, Paul Vollett, Paul Vollett. There was this, this clip on thing. And what a, you know, they, they were slowly being introduced to having constructive criticism, you know. Right. I, I remember Paul Vollett. It was blatantly obvious on the TV <laughs> that he'd made a mistake. <laughs> He's like, that. no, not me, not me. Deny, deny, deny. I remember Craig Joy going, Walls. I think you're the only person in this room who thinks you didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think like that's the thing. Sometimes there's no hiding, is there? Um, so your progression into um, coaching is an obvious is an obvious start point. We've discussed kind of you're starting to formulate these ideas. Um, was it always defence? Was that always the area that kind of no, tickled no, you? I, mean, I, I was I was I was head coach of Wasp in uh, 2000. You know, yeah. my best my best thing. I think the hardest competition to win is the Heineken Cup. Yeah, 100%. Hardest to win. Harder than Six Nations. The only one probably hard is the World Cup because it's the World Cup. Yeah. Um, maybe a Super Rugby title is, is, is just as difficult and it's a similar thing, a lot of travelling. But an Heineken Cup, number one, you've got to qualify for it. Number two, you've got to travel definitely to France or to Ireland to yeah. win a big game, big couple of big, big games. And we, I was, you know, you have to be planning your squad for like 18 months before it, you know what I mean? Yeah. To get the players in and you think you can, uh, can do it when it matters, etc. And as I said, in 2007, I was lucky enough to be head coach, working with yeah. my great pal, Ian McGeekin, mm. as director of rugby. And um, we, we went into a final, absolutely given, no one gave us any chance whatsoever against Leicester Tigers. And... Um, we, 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 we turned the table on them and uh, we won the Heineken Cup in 2007 and that that I'd say was the hardest achievement to to, um, to to win the Heineken Cup yeah so like definitely you won two whilst you were there and I think um the, the 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 role of head coach, there's no doubt. It kind of when you were in that wasp scenario, were you kind of overseeing the whole picture, the whole game plan, or was it more um, like a management? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I was doing I was doing um, attack and defence for a while, which ended up being a little bit too much, really. Yeah. So sometimes when you have a structure, you know, the, your halfbacks, you know, okay, we had Alex King, you know, yeah. we had we had Owen Redding. Mm. Super, super halfbacks um, involved, and you know, Danny Cipriani was coming through. He played fullback in that in that final um, at the time. So, I'm always been a big believer, of having been a halfback myself, um, of letting the the halfbacks have a, have, a, have a quite a strong influence on the way that you play, uh, because they have to be happy in the game plan, don't they? Of uh, and um, and normally they're the leaders in your team anyway. So, yeah. so it's important that they. They have input. They have their say, um, particularly in attack. Definitely, I think. Um, do you? I mean, this is a pretty pretty direct question, but do you feel like at times coaching can it can just be overcomplicated to the point where there's there's too much kind of wishy washiness about it? Well, I don't know because that's not the way I coach, so yeah. uh, I, I, I can't speak for anybody else and. Uh, this it's not wouldn't be for me to, to okay so you know, so let me let's have anybody else just yeah, uh, 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 not really that kind of person 
Yeah, that's so. Let me rephrase it. Do you feel like um, your your coach? You said you like to keep things very direct and, and very simple. Is that is that as a result of you just feeling like players need really simple messaging whenever they become, when they get into moments of high pressure? Absolutely. And um, okay, um, I always remember Wayne Bennett said to me. He said, "It's pretty simple coaching." He says, "What you didn't like your coach doing when he was playing, well, don't do it." <laughs> you know, and uh, I didn't like play. You know, coaches doing very long speeches. I didn't like. I liked like every now and again was okay. You know what I mean? But not every week. Um, I like simple, precise messages. Yeah. You know, because you have to factor in the fatigue factor in a game of rugby, and there's a huge fatigue factor when you're playing at the highest level. People don't understand outside of the pitch, and that's what. It's really important when you become a coach, you have to remember what it felt like when you played. Yeah, player. You have to remember that. You have to yeah. remember that because you're not on a laptop watching it with no fatigue factor at all whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. You're not you're not writing your little notes. You're on the pitch. Someone's, you know, you've just been double tackled by somebody, you know, you've had to sprint fifty meters back, you know. You have to remember that. That's what yeah. I think that's good advice for any coach. Absolutely. And I think um so when you're preparing a team, obviously the, the French at the moment, are you looking to try and kind of target that into like a two or three obviously it'll be specific to the game, but two or three key messages for the week or for per session? Is that kind of like a theme thing that you do? Yeah, yeah. I mean this is basics, you know what I mean? Double tackles, which everyone does. The big thing now is to get out the tackle area as quickly as possible. Yeah. You know, otherwise you're going to be pinged. We yeah. practice that all the time. Um, you know, that's all your basics of, of, of your defence and then you know you, you look at the I always look at the opposition and say who's the two big ball carriers in the forwards and yeah. who's the one big ball carrier in the backs so you know that, that specifics of a match you know um, specific of, 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 of an individual match you know you might have a very creative number nine who's you know, I know if I was coached against France, I'd be looking at Antoine Dupont. <laughs> yeah. He's a bit handy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was thinking, like, thank God you don't have to try and coach to stop him because he's electric, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, he's electric. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's a, a one off. Yeah, he's a super talent. And I think, um, well, I yeah, suppose... that, that's the specifics what I go into, you know, he's, he's the big ball carriers and forwards and just try to keep it as simple as possible, really. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a real strength in that for sure. As a player now, there's definitely um, a, such a such a strong case for really clear, concise messaging because there's nothing worse than going onto the pitch with you know like a million thoughts going through your head. Because actually, when you're on the pitch, Sean, and you can correct me if this is how you felt, you want to be able to just fucking go you want to just be able to go and and play the game that you've prepped the week for, not think and then go. When you're playing at the highest highest level. And I'm, I'm talking. I was lucky enough to play a test match with the league. You know, sometimes you're so tired, you're not even sure if you're winning or losing. <laughs> if, the, if, the, if the game is close, that's why yeah. I always tell the our our nine to ten. You must have a look where the clock is and where, where the scoreboard is. So yeah, remember the what score it is. Yeah, remember how long's on left on the clock. Um, because you're so tired mm. sometimes you, you, you think I think we're winning but you know <laughs> if it's close 
but people honestly don't understand it because, you know, unless you've played it, you know, at a very high level, you know, which I'm sure you have. And um, it's you're so knackered, you can't you can't think, can you? You know, yeah. <laughs> you, 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 and you're that's what... a pilot half the time, aren't you? You know, yeah. so that's what you know when you things you practice, keep it simple. You know, practice at a high speed intensity, and yeah. Hopefully you'll have a good team. Especially like I, I'm someone who plays in the front row, so uh, half the time you're getting your head out of a scrum, and then you're having to move somewhere, and you're thinking the last thing you want to be doing is having to second second guess yourself. Well, the thing the way the scrums are now, I mean, ten years ago they were they were over in two or three seconds. Mm. It was all about the collision and the hit, mm. etc. But now you guys are in the scrum for like eight, nine, ten seconds. Yeah. Holding that shape, some I presume sometimes you're not really breathing as well because you don't want to lose your weight, you know. And oh, maximum effort for eight, nine, ten seconds with with, with no in, you know inhale or exhale. Yeah, you, got, you know your legs are going to be tired after that, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. That's the old lactic, and uh, uh, there's definitely a few cases of the old boys that kind of passing out when they're coming out of a scrum and then having to get uh, over to the next line out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. I so I think he said once he passed out in the passed out in the in the scrum he was pushing so hard. Yeah. People don't you know people don't realise that. Yeah. Um listen, the front rowers would play anywhere else if they could, but unfortunately we're the uh you play? Uh, hooker. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So I'm the one not good enough to play in the back row, but get stuck in there because he could throw the ball above his head. <laughs> um when I first came to Rebunion, I was like why are these hookers guys? Why are they not like, paid a bit more? Or, <laughs> why, why? Because they do everything. They, You're right. They line out. They throw that ball. Right. That's a tough job throwing yeah. the ball to the line out. That's going to be. That's going to. That's going to be the whole quote of this podcast: is why are these hooker lads not paid more money? <laughs> um. Right, so it's probably a good time to touch on, you mentioned it already, some of the stuff that you would coach, like some of the rules and laws of rugby. Now, we're not here to discuss or debate. The, we're here to basically analyse the way the game is at the moment. Um, one of the areas you mentioned, rolling away from the tackles, something that's heavy because it's a, it's affecting the jackal, which is a huge part of the game at the moment. Um, and obviously, as a defence coach giving away penalties, is going to have your team defending for huge amounts of the moment. Where do you sit with the way the rules and laws are? How are you coaching your team as a result? Yeah, I think um, there's some good laws coming this year. You know, I'm, I'm happy that uh, the referees are going to, it's not a new law, but you know, there's only one person allowed to to latch on now. Yeah. Um, and the, that guy goes straight down on the ball because oh. it was getting to a stage where like, I, I read the stat with 61% of the tries in the... I think it was in this premiership, but it might have been Celtic League, I'm not sure. Uh, there was no pass. There was no pass. Yeah. It was just pick and go or a mall. And, um, you know, it, I think it's only exciting to the team who scored. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, if, you, if, you're, if, you, if, you, if you're not involved in the game, you watch on TV, it's not, you know, not the most exciting thing. Um, very exciting if it's your team scoring, obviously. But, yeah. Um, so I think that is a, a positive move, trying to, because clearly it's an attempt to encourage the people to pass a bit more in the 22, which yeah. probably wasn't happening as much as everyone would like. Um, what other ones are, you know, the, the 5 to 20, that's, yeah, that's that's a good idea, I think. Yeah, it's good. You know, guys, um, 
So I was just going to follow that up because I think that's an interesting one for you in particular. That's that's stealing a man from the front line. So there's going to be, uh, we haven't played a, a premiership, first premiership games this Saturday. Um, that's going to change the, the shape of that front line. You're almost potentially losing a body from the front line or accepting that you're going to give that backfield coverage. So yeah, a I bit think of adjustment what it, there. what it would be was, I think, you, sit, you know, most teams play a 13-2. And, uh, yeah. If I'm honest, that's what, that's the thing we brought in with Wales back in 2011. And, yeah. uh, you know, people often say to me, what's the most prejudiced thing, you, you know, you've had in rugby? And as a pure coach, it's the fact that when I look at shapes of defensive teams now, and there's a lot of people that have a 13 2, they don't really bother with a, with a nice sleeper in the hand. Yeah. And, and I look at that and I think, well, I was part of uh, a group of coaches who invented that. And also, probably, uh, if we're honest, and again, I'm not here because I know you're not a man who enjoys people telling, but but the shape of that kind of outside to in defence blended from rugby league was something that you kind of integrated through Wasps as well. Yeah, I think well, the, the, the original idea was Warren's about having a blitz defence. And I remember, I remember um, we had a meeting once and um, things weren't going too well. He'd just come to Wasp and he said, I want to change the defensive system. And uh, I said, What do you mean? <laughs> he said uh, I said I, I want to be more up and in I was like oh my god I've been thinking that for the last like, five six months but because I was new in the game and things weren't going too well I didn't yeah. have any confidence you know to introduce because at Wigan you've got to remember rugby league it's not always been ten yard drill it used to be mm. a five yard drill and even before that it was a two yard drill back when my dad played in the 40s and 50s and 60s yeah. so we used to do an up and in defence Wigan, like an umbrella defence, and the great Canterbury Bankstown used to do the same in Australia, where mm. we'd rush up on the outside. And I was I was watching training, and as a very young, just just come out of playing really at that time, and I was thinking, God, if I could, you know, as a young guy, fit, if I couldn't cut that supply of ball out to the outside, not from first phase because it's, it's it's more difficult from first phase. You have to yeah. go more up and out there. So. I throw my I throw my but I'd retire on the spot <laughs> if I was still playing. You know what I mean? Because because you don't have to go back one year in in in, uh, in Union. Yeah, anyway, you know we brought that thing uh, defensive system in when Warren instigated it and uh, got you know we've changed a few things over the years. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, I, I used to think that that was um, it's an exciting way to defend as well because you could take a risk. It's, it's starting well then. And pretty much everyone does it now, don't they? You know, pretty much. Like I watch it quite a bit of rugby, and I suppose the the defence that stands out, like New Zealand, are pretty blitzy, but they also have this tendency to kind of push towards the touchline at certain times. They yeah, kind of yeah, use yeah. a little bit of it. Yeah, you don't always have to blitz. I mean, yeah, you, know, you probably get caught out, you know, with the ball over the top. But yeah. sometimes, you know, particularly from first phase, you know, there's nothing wrong with pushing them to the touchline. Definitely. So I think like that relationship that you touched on with Warren, um, and whilst we're not here to discuss Warren, I think your relationship with him um, and the success that you had with that Welsh team has to be acknowledged. You know, three Grand Slams, four Six Nations Championships, like your time at Wales, you must reflect on very... I know, like, I have to be honest, like I've played and know a lot of lads who've gone through that Welsh system. Some guys who are brand new to the to the club this year, like Scott Baldwin, who speaks really fondly of his time uh, working with you um, and, and Warren. And I think, you, how do you reflect on that period as, as the Welsh defence coach? 
just proud that we we, we made the um, you know for most of the time we we, we made the Welsh people proud of their team and that, that's yeah. that's always my goal you know wherever I go um, coaching or playing when I played is uh, to to make the fans proud of their team obviously yeah. and obviously we, we, if you're one of the bigger teams you know in the end you expect to win a trophy. Um, but the first, the first thing is to get the the people of France now, for you know, of Wales, to be proud of their team behind the boys. Yeah, and girls, you know, you know, girls. I've coached girls, Welsh girls as well. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, you know, and uh, to, to to everyone be behind their team, you know, and uh, be be proud of them. Uh, and I suppose defence is such a brilliant place to start with doing that, isn't it? Because really. Um... You know, people talk a lot about the like the chocolate and the broccoli, like <laughs> attacks like the chocolate and defense is the broccoli. But the defense is normally. Would you agree with the statement that defense is normally the a real uh, physical and and mental statement of where how close the team is and something that fans can get behind? Yeah, and you know when if you get cracks in your team, normally it comes up first in defense. I mean, um, I think that's was the case. Always been the case. I think the fact that at the moment there's so many points being scored at the moment yeah. in the game of rugby union, you know, even though people say no, it's a, it's tactical and all this, but if you look at the stats, there's never been as many points scored in the game of rugby union as there is right now, particularly yeah. in international rugby, and it, it's it's not um, it's not unusual, you know, for the team who loses to score 25 points. Mm. You know, the team who wins normally. They're having to score thirty plus points at times. Um, the Lions series was a, was probably one part of it. Well, it wasn't actually like that, but yeah, you know, there was different reasons for that, which are obviously um, you know lots of people have wrote about. But you know, I'm not going to uh, comment on. It was very tactical. It was very similar to the World Cup semi final, yeah. Wales versus South Africa, where the third test ended up exactly the same result, unfortunately. You know, and it's just about. You know they probably took their chance, and the Lions didn't. Uh, you know. Yeah, high, high end. Uh, those high end. I mean, I've never played international rugby. It's it's uh, it's the pinnacle for anybody. But the this perception or suggestion, in my opinion, would be that though you get probably like a handful of big opportunities, if that maybe t- sometimes in those big games, Sean, you've played with them, you or coached to them, you get one or two, and the South Africans just seemed a little bit more clinical in those big opportunities. Uh, I think a big part of Big part of South Africa's success, and um, you know, probably South Africa. You know, the the what's great about rugby as well is that tactics. One team suits a, you know, the Kiwis playing a certain way, the French playing a certain way, and yeah. Ireland playing a certain way, generally, and um, that's what that's what makes um, that's what makes it interesting for us coaches. Absolutely, and if we all had six foot nine freaks from one to eight, then I think you would probably lend your your style to a certain way. So exactly, yeah, you coach to what you've got. Sometimes, if you've got a big ball carrying number twelve like Jamie Roberts, well, you know you, you send him up off the top of a line, eight, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, you've got a creative, fantastic ball playing number twelve. Well, you might attack wide from a line, eight. so you know people. I think sometimes don't realise that you you have to you have to go with what you've got at times. 
Yeah, definitely. I think um, probably appropriate to touch on that Lions tour as well. Um, obviously, um, a, probably a, a, I'd imagine a big moment for you to be included in that uh, 2009 trip to South Africa result away, a, a big milestone for you as a coach. Yeah, I mean, everyone who wants to go on the Lions and um, um, unfortunately it was um, it was, it was uh, I was very pleased to become a double Lion. I was a rugby league Lion. As yeah. a player and a rugby union line as a coach, um, but it's still the defeat that hurts me the most. It's the biggest joy, a big joy, but the biggest pain as well, because yeah. you know we we conceded a couple of tries in the in the second test, which um, pretty much straight after guys have had head injuries, and this is why it's so important that. In rugby league, we had a head bin back in 1987 mm. where if you had a bang on your head, you can go off for 10 minutes and get your head cleared and everything. I actually didn't realise that rugby union didn't have it. And not even in 2009, they didn't have a head bin. I was no. just, I couldn't believe it. Late to the party. And one of our lads got gouged on the floor and, you know, maybe a bit later, you know, we had a bit of a defensive error. <laughs> And but they've been gouged. Yeah. <laughs> they've been gouged, mate. <laughs> and you know, we had another one after from a scrum, which was an uncontested scrums. And you know, I know the I know the guy who was involved. I'm not going to say his name, obviously. Yeah. But never, ever, ever would he have defended the way he did if it if he was not concussed. Yeah. Ever in a million years. Yeah, you know, the best defensive players I've ever worked with, and uh, I just couldn't believe that they didn't have a head bit. Yeah, I was staggered, and obviously, you know, the the the, the touch judge, you know, saying saying ten minutes for a gouge, and I was like, imagine that was your son, <laughs> he'd just been gouged, eh? and the, and the people are supposed to protect him. You know, that's the biggest job of the referee, first and foremost, to protect the players. Protect the players, and yeah. The same for us as well as coaches. The most important thing is you then lads get back to the parents or to the wives or the girlfriends as much as possible in one piece, you know what I mean? That's mm. your number one priority. And the guy had 10 minutes for going um, to I don't know, really. Yeah. I think uh, it's amazing that those those well, results. Well, well, I was very proud that the bounced back in the third test and won yeah. by a record score. And I know they uh, didn't have, you know, teams changed a lot, but you know, those boys on that too. If you have seen us in the first game, we played without being disrespectful. That we played some set a semi-pro team in the first game, and it was on the hard belt, and it's so hard to get used to, you know, running around yeah. with, with no oxygen, etc. And honestly, if you just saw us in the first game, we nearly lost. I'm, I'm not being disrespectful, but these most of these lads were farmers and they, yeah, part timers. Yeah, yeah, they, they were labourers and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, if you'd have seen us in where we played in the first test, <laughs> where we ended up in the in the third test, you 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 know, I'm very proud of that improvement that we made. You know, over, yeah. over, that, over what it was only six or seven week period. Yeah, and the altitude does funny stuff to you. I've trained in altitude, oh, oh. and it, and it does make you. It makes you do stuff that you just wouldn't do in a normal scenario. Yeah, 
takes you about eight or nine days to get used to it, doesn't it? Then yeah. it's a little bit easier. You know, yeah. I remember the boys running out of but I think we're in a bit of trouble here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after after the warm up. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, an ama- amazing Lions series. Probably the one, uh, as a 30-year-old as a now, I remember exactly where I was for that um, that whole series, particularly that second test. Um, it's probably no surprise to me that that one still stings because you're such a competitive person. Um, everyone yeah, you know, on that I, came, I, came back, came back, I came back to, to the UK and, you know, was happy we won to a test, but not happy. And went to the, I went to, what was it, Windsor? Windsor? Um, Went in this place and people started clapping like that. I was like, "No, we lost." Like, no, I'm like, "They're like, no, you didn't. You got the pride of the lions back. You got the pride of the lions back, and that meant a lot to me." Yeah, yeah. And, and do you think that was because of uh, how well it, you know 2005 was obviously a difficult tour because it was in New Zealand, and New Zealand were probably one of the best sides to ever play rugby union at that stage with Dan Carter and his pump. Was that why the pride was back? Well, it's not. That's not for me to say. Just that they said the two thousand nine. The, you know, the Lions have played well and yeah, everything. And you know, they obviously had a bit of rough ride off the off the uh, off the officials. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just the fact that they they, they said because I know how much them lads put in on that tour and, and they were absolutely brilliant, both on and off the pitch. Yeah, amazing. The, the pinnacle of any rugby player or coach or staff. You know, you hear about guys going out there in the backroom staff, and it is the pinnacle. I think um, if we tr- if we flip to the kind of transition into the the French job now, obviously um, the def- I don't want to be uh, disrespectful to whoever was there before, but the difference in the French defence was noticeable whenever you took charge. You know, after only a matter of a couple of weeks. And um, what sort of things did you implement when you went in there? Well, I was lucky really because. Um Fabian was the was the defence coach at the World Cup for the um, yeah for the um, twenty nineteen World Cup yeah and um, funny enough after the um, after we beat them in the thing and I, I went up to him because you know um, we scored two tries and they were both like one was from a big shot they lose the ball our guy picks it up basically an interception really and scores the try and then the other one was from a rip after scrum yeah. We get the ball and we score like one phase later. So it's not a lot you can do as a defence coach for that, really, for interception. I've always said to people, if anyone's got any ideas about defending against intercepts, please, please, please send it through to me because maybe we'll start playing with a goalkeeper or something like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> but um, I said to him, mate, uh, you know, I felt for you. You guys would, you know, you guys maybe have been a bit probably the best team today, like you know. And, he, and we had a really quick discussion, and he said that. He'd been um, doing a very similar system to what, what he'd studied, like the 13 2 and yeah. you know, 14 1 and sometimes the 12 3 formation, etc. And, and they'd pretty much implemented that. So, so that definitely helped me because they were, it wasn't totally new to them. Yeah. And I think, how, so how has the transition been with the, uh, obviously moving the family is always big wherever you go, but in terms of the language barrier, um, you've, you mentioned earlier, some, you know, some of the family, particularly the kids are picking up to it really well, but in terms of your interest in you specifically messaging to the players, we know it's concise and really effective, but do you pitch that in a fr- in French or do you do that in English? I do it in French. Um, no, I made the effort to, uh, and it wasn't easy, you know, I'm, um, I made the effort to uh, to learn enough French so I could uh, pre- present to them. 
There's a lot of preparation involved, a lot of looking down at my notes like that. <laughs> uh, but no, I don't have to do that. You know, I, I can just yeah. I can do it ad uh, ad lib really. You know what I mean? Um, still difficult to to you know if someone speaks back to me very quickly and and you know it's it's not the staff about rugby and it's difficult you know to to, to pick that up. But William sure that just just translates it for me and it's not a problem. Yeah. Um, uh, and I, I would imagine um, I'll let you get yeah. Um, I yeah, would imagine a lot of speak speak uh, thing, but I, tr- I try to you know show respect to the French people and the French language and uh, yeah, you know and it wasn't easy doing that to be honest. It's not easy. It's been a lot lot of hard work and a lot of you know on my own in the, in the hotel room listening to different tapes and stuff like that. So. Yeah, the old uh, du- Duolingo on the iPhones useful, isn't it? Have you ever used it? Yeah, yeah, I, I do. Um, yeah, the Google Translate and all that. Yeah, but uh, so it's not been easy. But um, no, I, even I, even when I first got there, I made sure my first presentation I did it in French. Yeah, and I think um, the players appreciate that. Players and staff will appreciate that. The French seem like they they would rather you make a, an effort and maybe aren't as obviously going to be as fluent as the French, but they respect the effort, don't they? Yeah, and what I I've also explained to them is that. If they don't think I speak much in French, I probably speak more in French than I did in English. <laughs> well, they can have it either way. Which way do you want it? Less English or more French? Ask people like Jamie Roberts, and they never speak much. You know, my team meeting is about two and a half, three minutes maximum. Yeah. Yeah, I think that yeah, that's the conciseness that we discussed, and I think um, you know. So when when uh, when it, when you reflect on that, I think the the French opportunity has been really really positive, hasn't it? It's it's been quite successful. You're going to start preparing for the Six Nations imminently. Yeah, I mean, I feel I'm in in a, a good place that um, I've got a job. I'm involved in international rugby, which is a, a exciting place to be, uh, and I've got um, a team who's definitely got talent, um, and but I still think there's other I'd like to think there's a more improvement in it. Yeah. Okay. So in an effort to round this off, having um, been really grateful for the time you've given, two final questions. And I think um, you can kind of go into them as much detail as you want to. Um, when we talk about the transition from playing to coaching, like um, as someone who's quite passionate about coaching as a player, what is it about coaching that you love so much? Um, big thing about coaching is when you go from being a player, particularly if you've been a very successful player, is into coaching, you have to remember, it's like being 16 again. You're back to the bottom of the pile, not the top of the pile. Yeah. Okay, and you have to have a bit of humility to do that because, of course. you know, in a top player, you know, you're treated in a certain way as a top player. And so you have to have a thirst for knowledge um, as a young 16, 17, 18-year-old as, as you was as a player. That would be my advice to, 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 to young coaches. And what was the other question? What was the question that you said? No, that, the question was just around like what it is about coaching that gives you the buzz. What is it you love about oh, coaching? Right, yeah. um, keeps you involved in rugby. Um, it's when you see players improve, when yeah. you see players um, achieve the goals and, um, you know, get financial rewards as well, you know, to, to look after their family and stuff like that. And you feel you've been a part of that. Um, yeah. It's really, it's that's rewarding. And obviously you, you love uh, winning trophies, which uh, that's a pretty obvious question, but 
Um, the other stuff is yeah, just to help a lad to improve who has had the dedication. Maybe he's had a few setbacks. And yeah. you've seen him come through that and he's achieved something, maybe a test cap or a 50, cap, 50 t- uh, games for his, for, uh, for his club. Um, or a first team opportunity in his club, you know what I mean? It, mm. it, it depends what level the player is at. Yeah, yeah, and I can imagine being a part of that. Yeah, uh, yeah, that, that is very rewarding. Yeah, I can only imagine the feeling you get whenever you're you're part of that journey. And I think um, you know the final question sits around the kind of theme of this this podcast. It's uh, it's around high performance. You know what high performance looks like to you, and I suppose high performance is effectively the definition of what success looks like that's a difficult question it is it is it is I'll i always remember somebody asked telling me so what's the best type of training for rugby i was playing for wigan right yeah. and i said this sort of training <laughs> i can't i can't put that in the podcast <laughs> Well, you just about to be sick on the floor. So I suppose what we're saying is hard work, eh? <laughs> you have to be prepared to go through some pain. Yeah, yeah. So, so high performance, success. You have to be willing to sacrifice and go through through hard work and, and pain. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, um, on behalf of everyone who listens to this, this will be a really big episode for us, Sean. Um, I just want to say a huge thank you. I appreciate you taking the time um, with the family um, there with you, and I know you're heading off next week. And I just want to say a huge thank you for for, for your time, mate. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks very much, Sean. Better jockeys, better man.